Hi, Nexters. You're listening to Next Topic, a podcast where we discuss tomorrow today. I'm your host, Khan Pinar. Currently, the coronavirus has killed more than half a million people worldwide and continues to affect millions more, both physically and psychologically. Today, we're going to be learning about the latter effect from Dr. Stephen Taylor, a professor of psychiatry and a clinical psychologist at the University of British Columbia. He's a renowned author of perhaps the most timely book of all time, The Psychology of Pandemics, published merely a few weeks before the outbreak of COVID-19. In his talk from Next Topic, Future Pandemics, we will be exploring panic buying, looting, racism, profiteering, and conspiracy theories during the pandemic, and the major role of psychology in the spread and containment of infection. I'll be talking briefly about the psychology of pandemics, and um, uh, some of this is based on my book, and some of it's based on, on research that's ongoing, and people always ask me, well, well, how come you wrote this book? Well, my background is in anxiety disorders, including health anxiety, so my colleagues and I have been doing a lot of research. We've written articles and books on people who worry excessively about their health. And a couple of years ago, at the centenary of the 1918 influenza pandemic, there were a number of newspaper articles by virologists uh, interviewing virologists who were predicting another pandemic. So I got curious and started looking at this more and more. And the more I looked into it, I realized that the psychological footprint of a pandemic is actually bigger than the medical footprint. In other words, um, a small proportion of people might be infected with a virus, but a larger proportion of people are affected psychologically. And, and psychology, uh, the more I looked at it, I realised it has a huge uh, uh, role in the spreading and containment of infection. And I also realised that no one had ever put all this together into a, a single volume. So I, I put it together and just, I knew a pandemic was coming, but I didn't know it was happening so soon. So this came out a few weeks before um, COVID-19 broke out in Wuhan. Um, some of the things I'd like to talk about today um, to discuss in a little bit of detail the importance of psychological factors, um, psychological reactions to pandemics, and some of these were actually living real time now. I, it was a surreal experience for me to spend a couple of years writing about these things in the book and then just have them see them suddenly played out in real life as um, the COVID pandemic unfolded. And to compare COVID-19 to previous pandemics, there are a lot of similarities. Um, it's quite remarkable how similar they are, but there are some important differences as well. I'm going to talk about what we're calling a COVID stress syndrome, which is a, a psychological um, distress syndrome associated with COVID-19 that we've been, been studying in our research. And we're trying to figure out whether it's a, a short-term reaction, like an adjustment reaction, or whether it will become a longer-term problem for some people. And I'll talk a little bit about some ideas about what life might be like in a post-pandemic world. And people are, are considering this more and more as we're anticipating the, the um, gradual end of the current pandemic. So why are psychological factors important? Well, pandemics aren't simply some bug spreading throughout the world. It's the behaviour of people. Um, and unfortunately, as a result of pandemics, some people, fortunately a minority, but some people will develop severe psychological problems like post-traumatic stress disorder or obsessive compulsive disorder uh, or anxiety or mood disorders. Behaviour determines the spread versus containment of infection, that is, um, whether or not a person is willing to adhere to social distancing, for example. 
And we all saw the video footage of um, spring breakers on the beach in Florida partying it up in the uh, a few uh, weeks ago, you know, not adhering to social distancing. And actually a number of those uh, people came down with COVID-19. Um, beliefs about health and disease influence things too. Something called a hospital surge, and that is the worried well, misinterpreting bodily sensations, thinking they might have COVID-19 and rushing into hospital and overwhelming the healthcare system. And that's happened before as well. Um, another important problem we're going to see coming up uh, in the not too distant future is vaccination non-adherence. When we get a vaccine for COVID-19, or rather for the virus causing COVID-19, a big concern is that many people will not get vaccinated. And we know that uh, will happen because it's happened before in previous pandemics and it's also a, a perennial problem with uh, influenza. And of course, um, beliefs influence socially disruptive behaviours such as racism, uh, panic buying, uh, looting and so forth. Um, if you look at the methods, the contemporary methods for managing pandemic, they are also psychological in nature. So risk communication from health authorities. It's essential that health authorities maintain the trust of the community. If the community don't trust their health authorities, they're not going to follow what they say. So uh, a lot of attention has been devoted to risk communication. And there's a study done in Liberia um, during the Ebola outbreak uh, in West Africa. It was the people who didn't trust the health authorities that weren't complying with social distancing. So we're talking about Ebola here. So risk communication is immensely important. Hygiene practices, as you know, hand washing and so forth, social distancing. Um, early on in the current pandemic, we had a problem that people didn't understand what social distancing was or is. And partly that's because the name, the label is misleading. It's not social distancing, it's physical distancing. You can be social, but not physically um, in contact with one another. Risk communication is really tricky. If we look back at the uh, 1918 pandemic, you can see in this, this little news clipping, health authorities claim that there's no danger of, of a serious epidemic. So uh, underplaying the situation, and we saw the same thing in 2020 where a Brazilian president thought it was just a, a little bit of flu. And so the way in which authorities communicate with the public is hugely important, and we saw this recently with President Trump's discussions about injecting disinfectant, um, which caused a spike in poisonings. You know, a lot of what we're seeing in COVID-19, we've seen many times before in previous pandemics. You know, everything old is new again. We saw the surge of anticipatory anxiety, that is communities becoming highly anxious even before the virus arrived in their community. The rise of racism and other sorts of xenophobia that's happened in every previous pandemic, unfortunately, particularly people who are highly frightened of becoming infected. They, they become intensely frightened of outsiders. The rise of quack cures or fake cures. And we saw this uh, in the 1918 pandemic, an advertisement to eat more onions because onions are good for you. Everything old is new again. We're seeing this again this time around where people are touting the benefits of garlic. Quack cures in 1918, Dr. McKenzie's smelling bottle, and we're seeing the same thing over a century later. People marketing colloidal silver uh, as a, a cure for COVID-19. It's, it's, it's a quack cure. It doesn't work. Profiteering, um, 1918, McGregor's final scotch, a real tonic for the flu. Yay. 
And we're seeing the same thing now. Coca-Cola, this is an ad in Times Square where uh, they're trying to link Coca-Cola to the safety of social distancing, trying to market their product in the time of pandemic. Hospital surge, sporadic looting and rioting. Um, here in Vancouver, we had a spike in um, break-ins into stores, which are all boarded up anyway. Um, fortunately, the, the rioting and looting is, uh, is, is sporadic. It's um, altruism is the... Um, the main thing you see during pandemics, which we're seeing that too, but also panic buying. And you're familiar with the, the dramatic footage of people fighting over toilet paper uh, in grocery stores. Again, we've seen that in previous pandemics. In the 1918 pandemic, there was panic buying of Vicks Vapor Rub, which is something you rubbed on your chest. Uh, and it was thought that this kept people safe from influenza. It, it doesn't, by the way. Rumors and conspiracy theories. Interestingly, the conspiracy theories that we're seeing these days are the same as we saw in previous pandemics, Zika virus uh, being a bioweapon, COVID-19 being a bioweapon, the same deal. So this is our COVID stress study. Um, let me just, yeah. Oh, vaccination on adherence. This was our study. Um, we surveyed 7,000 people and a large number of people said they would not get vaccinated. So this is going to be a significant problem. Desperate measures. Um, back in the Spanish flu pandemic, uh, there were cases of people drinking hydrogen peroxide, thinking that it, it, peroxide is a, is a germicidal, that it kills um, uh, viruses. Um, I don't recommend it. Um, and we're seeing the same thing around this time around with people taking uh, chloroquine. Ostracism of healthcare workers. This has happened in previous pandemics. And um, uh, I was talking to a journalist um, a couple of weeks ago, and she said to me, well, you were wrong in your book about this prediction. You were predicting ostracism of healthcare workers. Uh, and she said, well, that doesn't make sense. Look at the 7 p.m. cheer that you're getting in many countries throughout the world cheering healthcare workers. I said to her, standing on, your, on the safety of your balcony cheering a healthcare worker is very different from walking into an elevator full of doctors or nurses. And indeed, we're starting to see ostracism and avoidance of healthcare workers. At least here in Canada, they're getting turned away from banks and pharmacies by frightened people. Um, this is the first pandemic in the era of social media and global digital interconnectedness, and that makes this pandemic different in important ways from other ones. It means we can come together and support one another, but it also means that um, uh, fake news and rumours um, and conspiracy theories can spread way more quickly. Um, we've benefited from the lessons learned from previous pandemics, for example, in the naming of the disease. You never name a disease after people, places or things because that creates um, racism and other problems. Imagine if we called COVID-19 Wuhan bat flu. Um, that would have caused a spike in worsened racism and would have promoted the needless culling of animals. Um, one thing we don't know for sure about COVID-19 is whether there are any long-term neuropsychiatric effects. Um, it is possible. Some people are reporting chronic fatigue or uh, a loss of taste and smell. So that's an important issue to look at. And this is our research network. And just briefly, I, I know we're short on time. Our study, um, we've completed part one. It's a multi-wave study. And we're looking to identify patterns of stress and coping. As I said, we've identified evidence of a COVID stress syndrome. And people with this syndrome are very anxious about getting infected they're fearful of touching things, so they become germaphobes, touching surfaces or things for fear of getting contamination. 
Um, they're frightened of the socioeconomic consequences, and in some cases these are, are real and important consequences. Um, they have COVID-related xenophobia, that is fear of strangers. They're having nightmares and intrusive thoughts, and they're repeatedly checking or compulsive checking and reassurance seeking. And these are also the people who tend to stockpile and panic buy and wear face masks and so forth. And these people tend to have pre-existing mental health problems. We're also identifying people that we call under-responders. These are the people who think the whole thing is, is exaggerated. Um, they see themselves as being impervious to infection. They have a low level of distress. Um, and they're more likely to refuse a vaccine and more likely to non-comply with social distancing. So who copes well into lockdown? Well, the studies of, of people who, uh, who do well as astronauts um, show us that if you do well as an astronaut, you'll do well under lockdown. And people who do well uh, tend to be emotionally stable, they're open to new experience, they're optimistic, they're hardy, they see um, stresses as challenges rather than threats, and they, they tend to be a bit introverted. So they don't really need a whole deal of social interaction. So unfortunately, it's the extroverts that are um, suffering during lockdown. Um, mental health services have been unfortunately reactive rather than proactive. There have been a rise in digital mental health services. And I'm thinking they're okay for the milder problems, but not so much for the severe ones. Ideas about what life will be like in a post-pandemic world. We'll be moving from this. Will we be moving to this? Mardi Gras, New Orleans. Um, expect in the short term, many people will be anxious and leery about shaking hands or hugging one another. Um, but we need to remember uh, research on disasters shows that most people are resilient. Most people come through natural disasters. Um, they might feel distressed during the short term, but they come through fine. Um, about 10% of people from research in natural disasters develop severe disorders. Um, we're not sure if that will be the same for COVID-19. SARS, there was a higher rate of post-traumatic stress disorder. We're not sure if that will happen with COVID-19. Um, we're not sure about the long-term economic effects. It could be um, a rise of frugality and self-sufficiency, as we saw during the Great Depression in the 1930s. There could be a rise of germaphobes. And we're finding that people who have pre-existing obsessive-compulsive tendencies are particularly distressed during COVID-19, and they are becoming germaphobic. And we know that OCD arises from an interaction between genetic vulnerabilities and stressful life events. COVID-19 is a stressful life event that will interact with those genetic vulnerabilities and could trigger a long-lasting germophobia in some people. Um, and there could be a rise in uh, what was considered a culture-bound syndrome called hikikomori, and that is um, a shut-in syndrome where people withdraw from the world, withdraw into the havens of their own apartments, uh, escape from a, a germ-laden world. And unfortunately, Technology has made it easier for people to withdraw from society. You know, people can work from home, shop from home, watch Netflix instead of going to movies, uh, order in. And so one concern is that some people will become shut-ins as a result of COVID-19. We have research that we've got currently underway looking at that possibility. Um, with that, I'll wrap things up. Thank you very much.